In February 2021, the Biden administration began the process to unwind the Migrant Protection Protocols policy, also known as Remain in Mexico. At the South Texas border, the program had pushed thousands of migrants into a makeshift refugee encampment in Matamoros, Mexico. In the 10 days following an announcement to close the encampment, the United Nations began a humanitarian operation that unified the efforts of residents of the encampment, U.S.-based grassroots advocates, and local attorneys to safely process everyone into the United States. I am Laura Peña, attorney, advocate, born and raised in the Rio Grande Valley, and I'll be your guide as we journey through Valle de Sueños, Valley of Dreams. So the Biden administration, instead of holistically addressing all the damaging border policies at once, decided to keep Title 42 in place while slowly lifting MPP. From what I could tell, the White House had decided it was politically untenable to end Title 42. Given that the entire border had been shut down for nearly a year, there was little room for error and we needed to move fast. On day three, it felt like we were waiting for the proverbial shoe to drop. In addition to the border situation of Title 42 expulsions happening across the border, inside the encampment, inequities in the process had become clear. Only selected people, those with open immigration cases, were being allowed into the U.S. Everyone else was in a state of limbo. They became known as Los Olvidados, the forgotten, and we'll talk more about their situation in this episode. On that third morning, I ran into Antonio, the resident legal assistant and an asylum seeker himself, near the stairs on the edge of the camp. Antonio's face was drawn. His cheeks looked spotty and red, even though the early February air was cool. He looked like he had been crying. Pues el día de la noticia del 24 de febrero que, que ya se sabía que iban a procesar a los casos activos, que iban a cerrar el campamento y que no decían nada de los casos que la corte nos negó. Ese día fue pues muy triste, muy triste y... Ver cómo la gente, los amigos que ya habíamos hecho, se iban, comenzaban a irse. Y que cada vez con los días quedábamos pocos, ¿para dónde nos vamos a ir? ¿Y ahora qué vamos a hacer? Antonio, a gentle giant with a head of moppy, curly hair, had single-handedly helped hundreds, if not thousands of people, navigate their immigration cases. And he was in danger of having his own case slip through the cracks. Eh, ese día desde cuando empieza a cruzar la gente, yo en lo personal, yo tengo pues emociones encontradas. Pues yo estoy muy alegre de ver que ya las familias se están yendo de allí, que ya no van a sufrir. Pero estoy pensando que yo puedo quedarme ahí, que, que, que yo tengo el caso negado, que yo ya fui pues víctima de de una corte desalmada, de una corte inhumana. Y yo tengo miedo de quedarme aquí en México. Más que ya no va a haber campamento. ¿A dónde voy a ir? 
I told Antonio that we would not leave him behind, but I didn't know at the time if I could make good on my promise. The depression and anxiety levels inside the encampment were quickly getting to a crisis level. According to the group Doctors Without Borders, in a 2019 survey of nearly 4,000 migrants stuck along the border in Mexico, 56% of the people presented moderate or serious symptoms on the Clinical Global Impression Scale for mental health, 35% depression-related symptoms, and 10% symptoms of post-traumatic stress. More than half said they had been exposed to violence on their migration route. And of the women surveyed, a third said they had suicidal thoughts. This was the baseline mental health situation for everyone in the camp. And the uncertainty of the situation for those who might be left behind, we feared people might harm themselves. As the lawyers, we did our best to map out the different legal postures of everyone inside the encampment and use the words active and inactive to explain the distinctions. Well, an active case is a case that was still pending, waiting to have a hearing or waiting for a decision on an appeal. In other words, your case is still sitting on the court's docket. It's not completed yet. Jody has been practicing immigration law on the border for over 20 years. She's one of the most experienced and knowledgeable border lawyers in the nation. And then for people who had lost their case, that means that they had presented to court, told their story, gave their evidence, and a judge made a decision as to whether they should be granted asylum or not. This was Antonio's situation. He had appeared before a judge, told his story, and been denied his request for asylum. As far as the Biden administration was concerned, his case was decided and there wasn't any process in place for helping people like Antonio, Los Olvidados. You know, when the announcement came that MPP was going to be terminated, I was like, all right, so who's included? Are, are you going to really right this wrong? Are you really going to make whole all the people that you subjected to this bullshit nightmare of a due process violation? And if so, you have to reopen everybody's cases and let them have a shot. Let them have a real, fair, just shot. Via the Sueños will return. Hi, Laura here. Valle de Sueños is an independently produced podcast, so if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a rating. It really does help. And if you know someone you think might enjoy this story, send it their way. Really appreciate it. Now, back to the episode. Under Donald Trump, the Department of Homeland Security had stood up huge white circus tents alongside the international bridges in Brownsville and Laredo. They called these tents courtrooms and funneled millions of dollars into new contracts to execute this extrajudicial, extra-administrative process. Can you describe what MPP courts were like? A joke. And it was really controlled Access was very limited in terms of being able to meet with your clients before court. 
they would tell you that you can meet your client 30 minutes before court, but it would take, you know, 20 minutes for them to find you, find a, um, a cargo box to put you in and then find your client. So, you know, you're, you were lucky if you got 10 minutes to talk to your client before, before you had to go to court. If the MPP program was supposed to make the process of getting people into the U.S. orderly, then it was a complete failure. But if the program was designed to keep people out of the U.S. at all costs, with the veneer of impartiality and fairness, well, then it was a smashing success. Don't stand here. You can't, you can't put your paper there. Don't read that paper. No, you can't talk to that person. It was horrible. I mean, I had never been treated so unprofessionally. Here's Antonio explaining his experience with MPP courts. No sé si le había comentado que la gente de CBP, muy, muy burlista, muy racista, un mal ambiente, un ambiente hostil, se burlaron de nosotros, se rieron cuando íbamos a México de regreso. And Antonio wasn't alone. There was widespread reporting of the harms that MPP inflicted upon people. La experiencia de las cortes nos dijeron que mi primer corte fue el 3 de diciembre. Tú vas a tener un abogado, no te preocupes, y él te va a ayudar. Y pues llego el 3 de diciembre a la corte y no, no había abogado, o sea, es una mentira. Llegamos a esa corte sin, sin abogado, sin nada, aparte con un sueño terrible, un, o sea, sin poder dormir porque había que estar a las 2 de la mañana en el puente, a la mitad del puente. Antonio's experience of arriving at the dangerous bridge in the middle of the night was common under MPP. Thousands of people reported being kidnapped, assaulted, and extorted as they waited at the bridge for their hearings. De que le quitan el sueño a las personas. Prácticamente, no sé si llamarle a, e, a esa parte, llamarle tortura. You know, you have to imagine some sleep deprived, food deprived. Oh, but you got to be on at 8.30 because you're going to have to tell a life or death story to the judge. And this is your one and only shot. And oh, by the way, you're going to do it over a video. Yeah, it's like there's this Wizard of Oz on the screen, you know, that you're going to talk to. El juez no le deja decir nada a uno en la primera corte, solo es una corte de que mi nombre es tal, entrega por tal parte, y lo que le hablan a uno es que uno va a ser deportado. People didn't have access to interpreters, people didn't have abilities to get documents translated, people didn't have access to counsel, people didn't even have access to file their documents because there was no way to do that at the bridge. Oh yeah, and if you had kids, you know, some of the judges didn't want the kids to be in their courtroom. So they would take the kids away and you're trying to deal with that emotion of some random person has your kid, but you've got to, you know, somehow turn that off and be able to be on so that you can give your, your story to the judge. I mean, it was, it was awful. It was awful. Y después me puso el juez una corte final con otra jueza. O sea, con el que yo ya poco había hablado de mi caso y ya no lo vi, sino que ya miré a otra jueza. This was another common practice in the MPP courts. The judge who oversaw all the preliminary hearings was not the same judge who heard and decided your final case. 
So any connection you had made with the first judge over the video screen was lost. You were forced to start over when the stakes were incredibly high. And over the course of maybe a two or three hour hearing, you had to establish your credibility with a judge zooming in from a distant location far away from the border. Un ambiente hostil, muy mal, o sea, como la jueza me quedaban viendo, pero muy mal, o sea, con la mirada muy pesada, como que yo les había hecho algo a ellos o como que no sé por qué. Uh, yo, yo pude sentirlo, que están jugando con nosotros, a qué juegan o por qué nos hacen eso. Si nosotros estamos queriendo hacer las cosas de la manera correcta, de la manera legal. By now, los soldados numbered in the dozens. Every day, they counted themselves off. A small act of protest against an immigration system that had failed them completely. From beginning to end, migrants like Antonio were set up to fail in this process. How could the Biden administration say with a straight face that these people's fate should be sealed just because they were unlucky enough to be subjected to this Byzantine process under Trump? It just didn't make sense. As attorneys, all we could do was be zealous advocates within the confines of the system, even though it was a sham system. In short, we did the best we could under the circumstances. Despite this situation, we were committed to helping them find justice in an unjust situation. On the next episode of Vaya de Sueños. This is a divide and conquer. Your entire Latino community was under attack. And now they're breaking you to pieces. Valle de Sueños is produced by Selena Peña, Charlie Vela, and me. Made in partnership with Trucha RGV. Edited and original theme composed by Charlie Vela. Written and hosted by me, Laura Peña. With artwork by Monica Lugo. Music in this episode is courtesy of Epidemic Sound. For a full track listing, check the show notes. For more information about Valle de Sueños, please visit us online at valleasueños.com with a regular 